Candace from KQRS and Sabotage, and you're listening to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. Welcome to the Minnesota Music Shakedown, a podcast dedicated to spinning some of the best original Twin Cities and beyond area music. Featured this week are songs by Stephen C., rocking some classic Pink Floyd, Amanda B. Perry, new music by Capital Sons, summary of Ric Flair's last match in Nashville, and a song by Clay Cumbie, tongue-blocking harmonica lesson from Minnesota blues harp legend Boom Boom Stevie, and answered listener questions. I'm your host, Mark Sterry, and thank you for supporting live and local music. This is Rick Pocket with Capital Sons. You are listening to the Minnesota Music Shakedown.
That was a new track called Down the Mountain by Minnesota rock and roll band Capital Sons off their new EP, Passages. Upcoming shows are Thursday, August 18th at Hopkins Center for the Arts and Saturday, September 10th at Eagles Club in Minneapolis. Go to CapitalSons.com for more info. Next up, we have singer-songwriter slash pianist Amanda B. Perry with a song called Old Love New from her 2020 record by Special Request. Upcoming shows for Amanda are Thursday, August 18th at Vino in the Valley in Maiden Rock and Friday, September 2nd at Vandy's Grill in Waconia. Go to AmandaBPerryMusic.com to learn more. Vans out there. Chiming in from Nashville, Tennessee is my longtime friend, talented and successful singer-songwriter Clay Cumbie as he shares his experience witnessing Ric Flair's last match pay-per-view event in person last weekend. After will be one of Clay's songs called Just Drunk Enough. Follow him on Facebook or what he got me hooked on last week, Snapchat. Clay, what's up, my brother? What is up, man? How you doing, man? <coughs> Good. <coughs> Sorry, I just, uh, just overcoming a little uh, sinus infection. Oh, that's okay, man. You're all spiffed up. You heading to church or what? No, unfortunately, I have a day job, so I gotta go pay the bills. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for checking in quick, there, Clay. Do you want to just tell me about the event real quick? Yeah, man. So uh, it was an awesome weekend for wrestling fans in Nashville, Tennessee. 
Uh, last weekend we had, you know, uh, SummerSlam with WWE in town. We also had the awesome uh, Star StarCast 5 event that was put on uh, by Conrad Thompson in coordination with Ric Flair's last match. Uh, I was lucky enough to go out to the, you know, historical Nashville fairgrounds to check out some of the StarCast stuff and some of the events. Uh, I got to sit in on a uh, kind of interview session with Bret Hart and also with the Four Horsemen, which was really cool um, to hear all those guys and see all of them kind of in one spot at the same time. Uh, and then topped it off on Sunday night with going to see the Flair match at, at the you know munis Municipal Auditorium, um, which is kind of a historical place. A lot of cool music acts that played there over the years, and Flair had obviously had some history there with Ricky Steamboat, I think, as well uh, in the past. So... So, man, it was just a really cool, I mean, I turned back the clock. I felt like I was like 10 or 11 years old for the whole weekend. So it was uh, <laughs> it was just kind of reliving some of that nostalgia and seeing some of the, the guys that you grew up wrestling. And um, it was just kind of a cool, cool weekend to, to celebrate those guys. What was your favorite matches on that? Um, <clears throat> man, uh, the Lucha uh, match I liked, you know, the Briscoe match I liked. Um, there, there was a lot of good stuff on there. I mean, there was, I just felt like it was such a cool experience too, because you were able to see it in such a more intimate environment, I guess, you know, whereas, I mean, obviously SummerSlam is huge and WrestleMania and all those huge events are stadium packed, but it was something cool about seeing it in like a municipal auditorium. And like, you felt like, I mean, we were kind of sitting in the middle kind of bowl around the auditorium, but you felt like you were just right there. Every seat felt like it was a good seat in the house. Um, and you could really appreciate the craft of these guys like wrestling. Like people were obviously throwing out moves and just throwing out their best. And they were actually trying to, to wrestle for the most part instead of doing, you know, more smoke and mirrors type stuff, you know? Yeah. So how do you think Rick did? I mean, I thought it was cool. I mean, you know, I'm not going to disrespect the legend. I no. mean, I think everybody that went into the match knew that it wasn't going to be like Ric Flair 1988 or anything like that, you know. And obviously they set it up to kind of to do things with with um, providing storyline with the tag team, you know, <clears throat> with Lethal and, and uh, Double J and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, so I thought it was cool. I mean, I thought I thought they did a cool job of trying to create that storyline and, and making it old school again. And, you know, I, I felt like it was a cool way to send Flair out, you know, given, you know, obviously his status with everything. And, and it was a great turnout. I mean, it, they, they pretty much sold it out. And, uh, I mean, when we showed up, there was a line around the building. We got there early because it was kind of first come, first serve based on where you were in your section. And, uh, but it was great, man. It was just like uh, totally like turning back the clock. Japers. Yeah, I thought it was fun. You know, it was cool too. Um, you know, Mick Foley came out and had an appearance, and Undertaker was kind of ringside. Could you see uh, him? Was, huh? Could you see Taker? Yeah. So we we were kind of at a cool, like, kind of point where we could kind of see everything. And I had spotted Mick Foley after he kind of did his bit um, and came back and sat with his family, and then they kind of did an interview with him. And so I kind of knew where he was sitting, and then like. Literally, probably twenty or thirty minutes later, Undertaker and his wife and uh, probably some kids of his came in, and then Bret Hart was sitting. So they were all kind of sitting, kind of ringside, and then uh, Conrad was not too far far away from those guys either. You know, they were all kind of sitting in ringside area. That's so cool, man. All right, Clay, live from Nashville, Tennessee. Thanks for the update on the Ric Flair last match pay per view. 
Oh man, absolutely. When all this was going down and I was just like, I got to reach out to Mark and tell him I'm doing these events because I knew you would have an appreciation for it and, you know, glad I could come on and, and recap my personal experience or whatever. But like I said, it was awesome, awesome weekend of uh, wrestling uh, if you're if you're a fan of National Tennessee last weekend. so Awesome, brother. I love you, man. Thanks for doing this. All right, man. Take care, brother. Yep. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.
Recently had the opportunity to hang with Minnesota Blues Music Hall of Famer and popular blues harp player Boom Boom Stevie. Listeners are in for a treat. Boom Boom gives a tongue-blocking harmonica technique lesson on the show. Upcoming shows for Boom Boom are August 12th at Bayfront Blues Festival with Greasy Gravy Blues Band in Duluth and August 13th at Como Lake Pavilion in St. Paul for the last waltz slash the band tribute show. After the harp lesson is the song Come Out Swingin' off of Boom Boom's 2009 release, Tough Love. Play a little tongue blocking, like an intro tongue blocking, so people would kind of get the sense of the difference. Yes, absolutely. So um, I'm going to play uh, play like an intro to some blues song uh, in tongue blocking. You'll hear that there's many notes for each um, like chord in the progression. Mm-hmm. And so, just so people get a sense of that. Is that okay? It's perfect. You know. That's great. You know, I also like to, I kind of sometimes illustrate it with like, oh, Susanna. Okay. Like single notes would be. And then tongue blocking. You know, just to give people a sense of the difference. I got to work on that octave stuff yeah. with the tongue. I don't do ton of octave stuff with the tongue. Okay. So you go um, slam it in your head on both sides yeah. then? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. So, you know, if you're going to be, and I'm still learning this stuff. Let me grab a Trust me, man. Uh, I'm still learning. There, If you're going to be a tongue blocker, you might as well. Take advantage of the fact that you're a tongue blocker and do those tongue slits and do octaves and stuff yeah. like that. How do you do an octave real quick? Well, you probably block uh, three notes and you get the notes on either side. Okay. Right. time with that i'm a real single note guy yeah how do you do your tremolo or vibrato do you use your throat or do you kind of bend the note uh i think it's a combination of both um because big walter was big tremolo kind of like yeah yeah and i i tried to just get it through um i think through my throat i mean like Nice. And in fact, I was giving a lesson to a guy the other day, and he was really a good player, but what he kind of lacked was just that little tremolo effect on single notes. And I said, if you can get that by just, you know, kind of stressing out your your note and your bend, it'll add a lot to your playing, you know. Really? Yeah. Yeah, hmm. so he'd be like, and I'd like, you know, hit the same note, but get the tremolo. Punch. You can't really 
Take a minute to thank the two sponsors we have for the podcast this week, ID Chrysler Zombrota and the B-Dale Club. Thank you guys for supporting the show, and please go check out their social media pages. Just drove past ID Chrysler Zombrota last week when Johnson and I are heading to Rochester to rock out on Main Street for Thursdays on 1st. I was tempted to swing in and stop and say hi to Monir and wheel and deal on a new Jeep, but decided against it. I still love my black Jeep Cherokee and 
I'll be definitely getting my next ones from Monier and ID Crisis Umbrota for sure. Where they're at, they're on US 52 at 1900 Roscoe Avenue, Umbrota, Minnesota. And their hours are Monday through Friday, 8 to 6 p.m. and Saturday, 9 to 5 p.m. Closed on Sundays. Their website is ZumbrotaCDJR.com. And please go check them out. The B-Dale Club. It's been a long summer with very few B-Dale Club experiences, so I am excited to get back there. I'll be playing the second and fourth Thursday of every month there throughout the fall and winter with Johnson generally on bass with guest musicians every time except for the first one. Next Thursday, just me and Johnson warming things up. Then the one after that, we'll have blues guitar player Brian Naughton, Be Naughty. It's going to be totally awesome. Uh, the B-Dale Club, their motto is a place for family, place for friends, a place for fun. They have live music, pool table, pool tabs, Tuesday night chess society, bingo, meat raffle, bocce ball Thursdays, and tons and tons more. Go check them out. Stop it for a cold one. Now, up next, listener questions. Hey, Mark, I was wondering if you would have ta- a chance to talk about uh, songwriting process, maybe your methods of songwriting and how it's changed through the years and possibly any advice you'd like to give to uh, future songwriters. Thanks. Nick, thanks for the question, my friend. Songwriting process, that's changed over the years and hopefully will continue to change as I grow older. I've definitely, since the podcast has started, I don't write songs as much as I used to. Most of my songwriting is primarily like instrumental i'm really into the band the meters so i have just tons and tons of funk music riffs bass riffs drum riffs so eventually i want to get that out to like a bluesy funky record i haven't really sat down and written traditional folky acoustic music in a long time but i think i always subscribe to the the mick jagger and neil young way of songwriting where they would kind of come up with a melody and scat sing over it and then piece that together into lyrics. And you sometimes first thought, best thought, the old beat generation way of writing. I use that, then kind of iron it out. Uh, then I went with more specific stuff where just I'd write like a poem and put music to it. I think they're all good ways of doing it and good ways of experimenting. Sometimes I get locked down in one particular way and won't expand from that. But I'm trying to be open to whatever. But... Uh, as far as advice, just write write some tunes, man, whatever. Uh, thanks for the question. Hi, this is John from Tyler, and my question is, who are your top five musical influences? John from Tyler, thank you very much for the question. I promise to answer these off the top of my head, so not preparing for them. My top five musical influences... I think I've talked about this a million times on the other podcast, but that's totally cool. I would say off the top of my head right now would be Sugar Blue. Great harmonica player. I would say Eric Clapton because he plays all kinds of different types of music and I really like his playing. I would say Albert King, who's one of my favorite blues guitar players. I just like his style. Uh, currently, oh boy. Okay, Leon Russell is definitely one of my all time favorites. Not my favorite musician of all time. He had a variety of records that I really liked in the 70s, country records, rock records, jazz records, blues records. I really emulate him. I like his wide variety of stuff. And number five uh, today would be, I guess I would go with a local one, 
GB Layton, Brian Layton, one of the reasons I wanted to move from Turtle Lake, Wisconsin, to the Twin Cities to be a musician, I guess I would put him in my top five. Hi, Mark. This is Emma. I have a question for you. How did you get interested into music, and how did you start performing? I love the podcast. Hope I see you soon. Bye. Love you. Miss you. What a nice question from my niece, Emma. Thank you, Emma, for the question. I've always been interested in music. I got exposed to it very young. Uh, my mother would play a lot of classical music around the house, and we had an old piano, and we'd take piano lessons. And my grandfather, Bud Gall, was in a band called the Turtle Lakers, and he played an accordion band. I guess I didn't hear them all the time. And then my father, he listened to a lot of rock and roll music on vinyl, and I really gravitated towards a lot of that. So that was my first experience around music and playing music. I played saxophone in the Turtle Lake, Wisconsin band for a number of years. Then I picked up guitar about fourth grade, I believe. And my grandpa taught me some stuff. Some local guys from Turtle Lake taught me some stuff. My Uncle Dan taught me some stuff and got interested in performing Actually, performing was a nerve-wracking experience when I was a kid on the piano, walking up to the stage and playing some difficult piece. That was really hard, but I'm sure it prepared me for other stressful experiences performing live music. But I've always daydreamed of being Slash or G.B. Layton or Axl Rose or Sugar Blue, and so I really didn't have much choice. I've always wanted to play music. Thanks for the question, Emma, and yes, I love you too. Bringing home this episode is friend, producer, and pianist Stephen C. This is an amazing musical rendition of the classic Pink Floyd song, Another Brick in the Wall, off of Stephen C.'s new 2022 release, Classic Rock Piano. Check him out at stephencmusic.com. This has been the Minnesota Music Shakedown. If you'd like to toss a buck or two in the podcast tip jar, please go to patreon.com forward slash Music. If you like what I do, check out my website, MarkSteryMusic.net. Thanks for tuning in. Till next time. This is Stephen C., and you're listening to the Minnesota Music Shakedown.